Well, hello and welcome to Storm Hunters Podcast. This is our first episode in about a year and a half. Uh, and we're yep. kind of changing things up a little bit with how we do things. We're not, uh, we're not recording them live, so to speak, anymore. We're pre-recording things and sticking to the audio-only format to kind of simplify things a little bit and hopefully make things a little uh, neater and, and tidier. Uh, so today, as usual, my co-host is Stephen Anderson. Howdy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're uh, looking forward to getting back to podcasting a little more regularly, maybe once or twice a month kind of thing, just see how it goes, maybe a little more in one month, a little, maybe none in another month. Mm-hmm. But um, this audio format kind of, and this pre-recording format kind of opens up uh, our ability to do that a little more easily, uh, a little more effectively and, and consistently without as much effort and, and planning and, and so forth. So in the year and a half since we last had a podcast, I believe our last podcast was with, uh, we had Jesse Walters on the show. And since then, um, we had the storm season of last year, 2018, uh, which was pretty dull for us. Yeah, it was. We didn't really get a whole lot. We didn't have a lot of chances to go out either. Well, no, and uh, and you know we had there were one or two days in the southwest that were very you know, active tornado days, and then other than that, it uh, it was kind of hit and miss. Uh, we went on a chase that uh, looked kind of promising. We're kind of behind the things though, and the storm soon fell apart. And thought we weren't going to get anything. And then on our way home, basically, uh, caught the backside of the storm. And it was lit up by the sunset. And it was actually really nice looking. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a total yep. loss. I kind of have a feeling that Alberta might be a hot spot this year. That's just my kind of general your, is that your... su- suspicion. Um, which I kind of hope not. But... Uh, <laughs> Because that kind of sucks sitting watching all these pretty Alberta yep. storms all the time. So but, far uh, away, so close, but so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we'll we'll see, I guess. But that kind of segues into uh, how we're going to try and structure our podcast a little bit. Uh, we want to we're going to have guests again uh, as usual. Try and have different guests on. Uh, particularly from the Canadian weather storm chasing mm-hmm. uh, community. We're also going, when we don't have guests, we're going to just kind of catch up and talk about things that we're doing, we're working on, adventures we've had, uh, but also talk about topics in the field of of weather and storm chasing and also in the field of technology and photography uh, as it relates to weather and storm chasing and, and that kind of thing since often they're sort of split interests yeah. uh, among storm chasers and weather lovers. And with the recent weather outbreaks in the U.S., um, the old complaints have been pouring in uh, to television meteorologists on social media complaining that oh, they're covering severe weather for an extra hour or something. They're, they're uh, blocking out, you know, they're preempting the people's television shows or whatever for weather warnings that either aren't in their area 
or or you know it's just repetitive saying the same thing over and over again when in reality these meteorologists are trying to get a very important message out and a lot of people um are very um are helped greatly by these minute by minute updates supplied by television yeah. uh people that don't necessarily have the understanding or knowledge or whatever of where to go to get those minute by minute updates elsewhere uh they rely on television for that but uh so you know it's kind of not raising a question of whether or not they should do this i think they should do be doing that but it's just kind of funny to me that this is something that people complain about (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> having too much too much of coverage like that like and i mean the point was raised um has been raised by other people that for anybody who's missing a show uh there's plenty of other ways nowadays to just go and watch a show whenever you want you don't have to tune in to the television yeah. to watch it yeah and i think like honestly like when it comes to covering for something for too long i think It'd be kind of per per situation, like some situations might be more extreme than others, so they'll need more attention. And like, oh, you missed your TV show, like, oh no, <laughs> like, well, other people are in danger. Well, that's this. just, well, that's just it. It's it's about the the area of the broadcasting yeah. area, right? The size of broadcasting area, and well, then so the people that are in, say, the south part of the area there they have blue skies but the people in the north part of the area have multiple tornado warnings Mm -hmm. going on and the people in the south part of the area are complaining that they're getting tv coverage that's aimed at people in the north part of the area that's it's just lunacy (laughs) it is it is kind of insane uh i don't i don't really have like there's no really way you can defend like yeah, like you can just go online and look up anything else, anyways. Now, um, ultimately, the 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 goal and the mission of the of the weather coverage isn't, uh, you know, they're not trying to just get attention on themselves for anything. They're trying to get a message out to people yeah. in the path of a potentially life life threatening situation. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And yeah. but this the other thing I wanted to bring up on this point is we don't really have anything like that in Canada. Like that's a that's it's funny. It's always funny to me to see people complain about this because it's a rare event in Canada that we would have a, a weather co- like live weather coverage that takes you know takes over the airwaves during in the middle of the day or whatever and takes over you know the regularly scheduled programming for that day. Yeah, the short of maybe, uh, you know, at least in Saskatchewan, I don't, I can't speak to what they do in Toronto or or whatever in those areas. The only, mm-hmm. like, if you don't have the weather network, basically, you're not getting any of that in Canada. You, there, um, you know, there is no. I have never personally seen where the local TV station is putting out. Uh, warnings and reports for for a weather severe weather event yeah um i've seen i've seen a couple on on news it's generally news networks that do that 
Right. Uh, like, but they're like, sometimes they don't even go over the, what's on. Like they might show something at the bottom. Like, oh, if you live in this area, uh, extreme tornado warning. I think that happened last, last summer or I can remember it anyways, that they do that and they pop it up on the bottom of the screen, but it doesn't actually affect what you're watching. Like, yeah, that's usually the the extent of the warnings is that's it's not even like produced by the network. It's like the public alert system yeah, or whatever yeah, that yeah. they have. And that that's been expanded in in the last couple of years as well. Is and that's all I've ever really seen too is you know, uh a talk show is on and then the alert pops up for a minute mm-hmm. or whatever, beeps and, and scrolls by, and that's about yeah. it. So, you know, to so if you want the detailed minute by minute kind of look at the radar and updates on warnings, you basically go either online yeah, or you go to the weather network or, or something like that. You don't have local TV stations doing the kind of coverage um, that they that they have in a lot of places in the U.S. Yeah. But I guess that raises the question of uh, should they? to do more stuff like that other than just a text alert should there be in you know situations like that should they interrupt programming even if it's just for 10 minutes or something Mm -hmm. yeah i don't that is an interesting question because it's all about like because that would cost more for the for whoever would be providing it kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, and it really is like how often do you use that how often would you use that because you even said like uh, like what a couple times maybe like you don't there's not a lot of times you remember where they interrupted programs for extreme weather or just like I guess not very pleasant weather um, during TV. Well, and I well I think that in Canada a lot of the focus is shifting towards less is actually shifting less from the TV aspect and more to getting alerts to people through mobile devices. Oh, yeah. Things like yeah, that's a good point. And, and I mean, the effectiveness of that, you know, is debated and is not necessarily fully proven yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there were instances uh, in Manitoba last year, I believe it was, when there was a tornado near a campground, but it was in a pretty remote area that didn't have great cell coverage. And a lot of people, because of that, a lot of people weren't on a on a... 4g lte network <laughs> yeah, yeah and therefore the tornado is happening uh a, you know half a kilometer or whatever away mm-hmm. and uh and they can't get the alert now arguably in that situation uh you should be if you're you know within a kilometer or two of where the tornado is happening and you're at a campground maybe you should be a little more aware of something like that and not be totally reliant on your phone going off and telling you that there's a tornado happening, yeah. right? There's a, there's a line between uh, being, you know, self-safety conscious and, and, and utilizing public uh, alerts for, for assistance mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that makes a good point of there needs to be like, you need to hit it on multiple fronts of trying to get people's attention. Like, you know, you do it on mobile, you do it on television, you do it, you know, through radio. Like you can send planes with 
you know, giant <laughs> banners saying tornado <laughs> might not be very safe for the plane, but <laughs> you know, I think, I think the biggest flaw that has been proven with the, with the mobile alert system so far has been the dependence on it being an LTE connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not an expert on why that is a, a thing. Why, um, you know, why, why it can't be pushed through 3g. Um, but just because if you're, if you're trying to make this something that really helps people in the prairies, uh, you either need to make it so that it can be pushed over 3g yeah, or we need to really expand 4g coverage because yeah. right now in the prairies, you can look at, you can look up uh, mobile carrier coverage maps and you look at Saskatchewan your 4G radiuses basically all follow the major highways. Once you get yep. a few kilometers away from a major highway, uh, you're probably on 3G. So moving on to uh, talking about tech sort of related photography, tech related things. We like to talk about this kind of stuff every now and then. Mm-hmm. And uh, drone rules in Canada are set to change once again uh, as of June 1st of this year. And so I thought we'd have a little comparison and read through of what the current rules are versus what the new rules are going to be. Um, there's some interesting changes happening with uh, if you are operating a drone that weighs over 250 grams, whether you're doing it for fun or <coughs> for, for work or, or anything like that. Uh, you need to register your drone, and you also need to pass um, a online exam to become a licensed, registered, whatever you want to call it, pilot, drone pilot. Huh. Now we can we'll we'll get into like enforcement of this a little later yeah. because that's a whole other yeah. <laughs> discussion. That's a whole other. <laughs> But these are some of the current rules, um, which uh, reading through some of this might even surprise me. So I will see here. Um, so you go, and they're very easy to find. They're not, you just Google it, uh, Canada drone rules, and you can find them on the government's website. As of June 1st, they're, then they're implementing uh, this whole registration thing. Um. You have to get a drone pilot certificate is what they're calling it. Yeah. There's two types. There's basic and advanced. So for basic operations, you need to take the online exam. And this also, of course, has a fee attached to it now. Of course it does. $10 fee to to, uh, attempt this online exam. (laughs) And if you don't pass it, well, you forfeit your 10 bucks. Yeah. So then after you pass your online exam, you will have the option to print your pilot certificate. Uh, you must have your pilot certificate on hand when flying your drone. Now, this is an interesting thing to me. You will need to keep your knowledge up to date. If you let your knowledge level lapse for more than two years, we may invalidate your results. So you have to, what, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to... So knowledge, this is what they define as retaining knowledge. Um, and this is another thing you need to keep proof of, apparently, when you fly. 
Uh, retaining knowledge includes attending a safety sem- seminar endorsed by Transport Canada Civil Aviation, completing a recurrent drone training program, completing a self-state or completing a self-paced study program endorsed by Transport Canada Civil Aviation. <coughs> so, and obviously, I would say uh, all of that, for the most part, is going to cost you more money. Mm-hmm. And I just find this interesting that, you know, like, first of all, I just find this interesting that they're going to try and track this kind of stuff. It seems very <laughs> ambitious to me. Um, particularly considering if you've passed the online exam and you're flying the same drone that you were flying two years ago. Um, I mean, it's, I don't understand what knowledge there is. You're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what right. knowledge is there to really retain as long as you're following the rules? It's, it's just seems like a really over, over policing kind of thing to me. So that that's just so that's just with the certificate part. Then you have to register your drone, which is another five dollar fee. <laughs> so all drones with the maximum takeoff weight of two hundred fifty grams up to and including twenty five kilograms must be registered. Drones now here's an important distinction. Drones under two hundred fifty grams do not need to be registered. So that would include, um, you know, probably a lot of your little toy drones kind of things, um, you know, that you just fly around in the house or whatever. So then to register your drone, so marking your drone. Pilots must mark their drones with their registration number before they fly. We may fine you if you do not mark your drone with its registration number before flying it. Okay, if you fly an unregistered drone, you may be fined $1,000 for a person and $5,000 for a corporation. Uh, Yeah, there you go. So here is what they uh, state as the benefits of registration. If you lose your drone, registration may help in returning it to you if it is found. If there is a recall from the manufacturer, we may be able to notify you. (laughs) I suppose. I mean, like what? Like... So all of, so all of, uh, you know, short of having your drone stolen, if you lose your drone, uh, at least any, you know, higher end sort of drone, you have GPS on it that you should be able to find it yourself. You should Mm -hmm. need somebody to, I've gone through this experience myself Yeah, and learned that sort of the hard way, but, um, yeah. So Mm. you need to... Register your drone, you give them the make, model, serial number, weight, and type of drone, and then your credit card number, of course, because they need to charge you five dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh and then that's that. So then those are the registration parts of this. Then we get into the rules while flying. So you must fly your drone where you can see it at all times. Um which is just again this whole like keeping you know where you see it line of sight it gets really blurry to me given the fact that a lot you know all of your drones with cameras you don't mm-hmm. fly them by looking at them 
in the sky. No. We're flying them by looking at the camera view, right? Yeah. And yeah, that one just, I want, like, I understand, you know, keeping a bead on it in case mm-hmm. your video drops out or whatever. Um, but there are times where I've flown and, you know, I'm flying at a distance or whatever where I can't pick it out with the bare eye, naked eye, yeah. because I'm flying with, with the camera. Mm-hmm. So that is. Well, that, that's exactly what they're supposed to be for is so that like you can go and look at something. Well, yeah, um, you have drones with all this <laughs> insane ranges now, transmission ranges, right? Uh, you know, kilometer away kind of thing. And, uh, and no, you must fly it where you can see it at all times. Yeah. Below 400 feet in the air, away from bystanders at a minimum distance of 30 meters for basic operations. Uh, away from emergency operations and advertised events. Okay, I understand this kind of stuff. Avoid forest fires, outdoor concerts, and parades. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, away from airports and heliports, that was already a thing. So visual line of sight. They define visual line of sight as keeping your device in sight at all times without visual aid. For example, binoculars or video feed. This means not flying into clouds or fog or behind trees, buildings, or other obstructions. Hmm. So yeah, do you think that they're maybe asking a lot? Uh, I mean, they're, they're certainly limiting of where you're going to be able to fly drones. Like, that's that's no cities. That's You're out in the country, and that's it. Well, so then, you know, that, that raises the other quick point. I think that's what drone laws like this have almost always sort of been geared towards, is people in big urban centers they get a drone uh-huh. and then they decide they're just going to put it up in their backyard and whatever and they live near an airport or they live near tall buildings and, and all this kind of stuff yeah um you know i think it's good to have those rules for that sake and they should be enforcing that kind of stuff in, in those situations but who is going to be out on the country road in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan where I'm flying my drone and drive up and say, where is your pilot certificate? Or, Oh, (laughs) is that, does that drone have your phone number written on it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The blaring issue. I don't see how the, (laughs) like I do not see, I don't see where, uh, you know, where they're going to, stop any of that kind of stuff and i and and i mean that's probably uh just fine because people doing that sort of thing aren't the ones that are causing problems it's the people that are flying drones near airports and 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 buzzing people with them and and whatever well and the, the my biggest beef with this is the whole keeping up your your knowledge retainment yeah yeah the like how you define that and what you know, and and that kind of thing, and then the the paperwork and stuff involved with that kind of stuff too, um, just makes me kind of wonder. I I can understand that in a commercial aspect, somebody flying a drone, um, you know, they work for a company and they that they do aerial survey kind of stuff or whatever on a regular basis, whatever. Um, yeah, there should be you know commercial standards for that, but. Somebody who lives on an acreage, middle of nowhere, whatever, lives on a farm. They just want to go out, fly their drone, 
every now and then at sunset or something, you know, they keep it under 400 meters, whatever. Um, why, <laughs> why do they need to pay 10 bucks uh, to have a <laughs> license to do that? Um, I don't, yeah. And I guess it comes no, down to, you know, trying to be consistent and universal because there are people out there that, Maybe they do want to discourage by doing that. But ultimately, if people are going to be doing stupid stuff, uh, having a registration thing for them uh, isn't going isn't gonna to change yeah, anything. Yeah, it's not like they're going to register. And whether you're registered or not, I still don't see who's going to police this kind of stuff. Is the RCMP going to go hunting for people with without drone registrations? I don't think that's going to be high on their list in, in most areas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask a question. Did they say anything that you mentioned, like a recurring, um, like recurring knowledge or something? Did they have to, would you have to retake the test? I don't believe you have to retake the test, but you would have to take a course or something every two years. And I don't Uh, know uh, what that would entail. You know, that probably entails a day or whatever. And that's the other thing. Then it becomes a, either finding an online source that's recognized by them or finding some sort of a local thing, um, you know, club or whatever that, that uh, puts that kind of thing on. Yeah, it would put it on. Which, uh, you know, then causes a whole other kind of questions of, of uh, you know, accessibility and where you live and, and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. I believe they did mention here... Yeah, you can complete a self-paced study program. I assume that would be something done online. But presumably there would be more cost associated with that. We're going to try and uh, we're going to work on lining up some guests here for uh, future episodes. And uh, if you have any topics, uh, topic suggestions you'd like us to talk about, you can tweet it to us at weathersask or use the hashtag... Uh, Storm Hunters podcast, and we've pushed the show out now to more than uh, more than just iTunes. We're also on uh, Google Play and Spotify now as well, and we've also revamped the website uh, podcast page now. Uh, you can find a bunch of previous episodes in their audio form on there, and it's a lot more streamlined and everything there. All the audio versions are accessible through there. And then, of course, you can download them through iTunes or Google Play or stream them on Spotify. And uh, be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Anything else to add, Stephen? Uh, not really. Just uh, It's been fun. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will do it again soon. And hopefully uh, we'll line up. We'll have next time we talk, next time we do an episode, we will have... Uh, have a guest uh, on with us. We'll be a little closer to storm season then, and we'll maybe talk about uh, plans for the 2019 Canadian storm season. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.